So open your Bible, please, at First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll be turning to some scriptures in a minute. I'm sure that we all know that there's a vast difference between a gift and a reward. A gift is something that is given freely, undeserved, unmerited, unsolicited. You don't work for a gift. You don't ask for a gift. You don't pay for a gift. All you do when you receive it, or you should do, is receive it with gratitude and give thanks to those who give it to you. No doubt, I suppose, the greatest gift of all that's free is the gift of salvation. And we know that very well, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Paul says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God, not of works. And on we could go quoting scripture. Romans 5, uh, Paul talks about the gift of grace, the gift of righteousness, and the gift of mercy all at the same time, all almost. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Every man or woman that's born again by the Spirit of God has given gifts, gifts from God that cost us absolutely nothing. He doesn't just give us the gift of salvation, but he gives us gifts for service. And some receive one gift or two gifts or three gifts. But everybody receives that's born again the moment they're saved, according to the word of God, they receive one gift or another. Now, you might, know, might not know what your gift is, but if you're any length of time saved, you would need to know. And you would need to find out, for you're going to have to give an account one day, very soon, maybe before 12 o'clock tonight, for the rapture is imminent, and uh, just at the same time after the rapture, the Lord says, I come quickly and bring my rewards with me. So, it's going to be very soon, and it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be uh, an awful trying time for some. You'll not be judged for sin. That was done at Calvary, but you'll be judged for uh, the gift. You'll be judged for your performance on the gifts that the Lord has bestowed freely upon you. And once we establish what that gift is, and, and so often we th talk about singers, and we talk about preachers, and we talk about teachers and all that sort of thing, but there's a whole plethora of different gifts that will be rewarded for uh, in the family, in the home, amongst the children, and uh, workplaces and other things. There is a whole lot of gifts that uh, God has given to us for different things and different ways, and what your gift would be would not be my gift, and uh, my gift would not be your gift, but uh, some of the gifts are public and some of them are not public, and so on it goes. And so we need to establish that God gives us these gifts, and he gives us to them to, to glorify himself. That's the first reason that anybody has a 
received a gift from God to glorify God, to extend the kingdom of God, to build the church of God, to complete and fulfill his ministry and your ministry and my ministry because we all have a ministry. We have to look to ourselves that we lose not that which we have wrought for, but that we might receive a full reward. So we need to look to ourselves that we uh, use uh, our gift uh, for the glory of God, for the extension of his kingdom, uh, for, the, for, for the edification of saints. And on we could go winning of souls. On we could go that those gifts are there for us to use. And uh, when they're all working together, my, it's a marvelous thing, especially in one assembly of God's people. If you have all the gifts working, and, and, and they should be working together, you, 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 you'll, you'll be in, in great blessing. Now, gifts are not just, uh, they're not just something that's uh, mentioned in the, in the New Testament. They're mentioned in the Old Testament as well. In Numbers 18, the Levites were gifted for service in the house of God. Gifted for service in the house of God. And there are men and women gifted for service in the house of God. I wonder, did you ever think about that? Maybe God has gifted you for service in this house. In this house of God, he might have gifted you for service. Now, people say to me sometimes, oh, I just like to come in and I just like to sit in the back seat and that will do me. But what if God wants you up at the front seat? What if God wants you up at the front? Do you ever think like that? But he might well want you up at the front if the, if the Lord would want you to would want you to be a deacon or to be an elder. And you go on, to, on down through life and you come to the judgment seat and he'll show you, I, I wanted you to be here. I wanted you to be just doing this was your gift. And you knew it and you didn't do it. Well, that's for where we read that there will be a shame that is coming. There'll, there'll be a shame. And there will be an embarrassment at the judgment seat. There's no doubt about that. We'll all be embarrassed. And so, uh, the Levites were gifted for service in, in the house, house, house of the Lord. In Ruth, to, in, in Ruth we, we read that she was gifted for her steadfastness, for her steadfastness and her love towards Naomi. She was gifted in that way. And, and, and we'll be, we'll be, we're gifted for our steadfastness and for our stand and for our faithfulness, which you'll hear a bit in a moment. And then there was Asaph, the psalmist that we were dealing with in the last couple of Lord's Day morning. He was, he was a gifted singer in the temple. And the, these people used, used their gift. It's what we do with the gifts in the time that we have them is what we're going to be judged upon. We're going to be decided at the judgment seat by the judge of all the earth, the Lord Jesus, who will be rewarded and who will not be rewarded, and who will get the five crowns and who will not. There are five crowns, and I'm going to show them to you in, the more, in a moment, so did you get them into your head? There are five crowns, five crowns, and he comes quickly and he'll reward, bring his rewards with him. So when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, there are five crowns on display and with your name on them, maybe or maybe not, maybe on one, maybe on two, maybe on all, maybe on none. 
And so we need to be careful. We need to know what we're doing. We need to realize that the Word of God was written for time for our learning. It's not just so much what we do. It's what we don't do. A.W.T. Tozer said that he was more afraid when he went to the judgment seat of things that he had left undone than the things that he had done. The things that he had done that wasn't glorified. And it's the things that we may have left undone. And wouldn't it be an awful thing if God had something in, in, in for you to do to extend his kingdom and you didn't do it? You didn't do it. And so it behoves us and betides us to get down before God when we get an inkling of that gift at all that God has given to us, that we get down before God and ask God to show it and to develop it and if need be to stir it up within us, as it was told to Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you and get out and use it for the time is short. So I'll let you think about that uh, as we go on, on tonight. You can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your gifts. The gifts of God are without repentance. The calling and the gifts of God are without repentance. God gives gifts. He never takes them away. He's not a beggar man. He doesn't take things back. And he gives gifts to us. He doesn't uh, take them back. He, the gifts and calling are God without repentance. Our salvation that he gives us free, he never takes it back. Thank glory to God for eternal security and to know that we're safe in Christ. But the rewards are different. The rewards and the crowns and the seats that we have and the glory and all that's ours in the millennium reign of Christ, it all can, we can lose it all. And Jesus says, let no man take your crown. Let no man. Wouldn't it be awful to be in the glory and see some man with the crown that you should have had. Let no man take it. And so, some other man, God will move into your place if you don't do it. And you'll have to bear, not the wrath of God, we're in heaven, but you'll have to bear the embarrassment that you missed and he'll show you the reasons why you missed it too. And that will be a fearful thing. So now's the time, now's the check-up time. This is the time, this is the time when you turn the corner and see the sign, prepare to meet thy God, as I said the other night, not for the unsaved. It wasn't written to the unsaved, it was written to God's people. Prepare, get prepared now, because we're going to meet him. And you can sing all we like when I see Jesus face to face with Christ my Savior and look lovely in his beautiful face. Well, that's all right. It mightn't be all that beautiful for some of us. Tinkered about and fooled about with our gift all the years. Went after money and went after houses, went after cars, went after holidays, went after everything, closed up and went away for three weeks four or four weeks or, or two months in the summer and never appeared. You tell you the house of God is not to be trifled with and it's not to be fooled with and the things of God are not to be either. They're not to be either. Tonight and for the next four Wednesday nights, I'm going to take a crown each night. And to save you flittering through the Bible and wondering where they are and looking where they are, 
I'm going to take you through them and then I'm going to lift out one that we're going to close the meeting with this evening. So I want you to follow me the best you can and get these crowns and where they are, if you want to take a note down, get these crowns and where they are in the Bible, for this is very, very important teaching. And if I were to go down and sit beside you now tonight and ask you, well, if you'd have asked me, you know, a few years ago, would you write me out where these five crowns are? I don't think I could have done it. And then I began to get serious about it, and I began to think, well, you know, we need to know all about this. We need to, we're going to go, if we're going to go to heaven, and we're going to, these crowns are for us. We need to know how, how we're going to win them and how we're going to get them and what we're going to do with them when we do get them. And so the first one is in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 25. We're not going into the context of these at just now. We're just giving you the bare scriptures where the, this first crown is. 1 Corinthians 9 and 20, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? But one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things, that is, he has himself under subjection. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. There was a, in Corinth there was a laurel wreath given for the winners, which we'll go into when we deal with this crown, which we're not dealing with tonight. But we are in, we are in uncorruptible, we are in now they do it to obtain an, an, a corruptible crown, but we an uncorruptible crown. Our crown, it fadeth not away. I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body that bring it under subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself have, have, should be a castaway. There you have the corruptible crown that Paul tells us about here, that will be received by us if we earn it, if we uh, earn it in the glory. Turn to First Thessalonians 2, please, over some pages. Take your time on over Galatians, Ephesians, to First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. I'll give you time to get your place, Colossians. Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse 18 and 19. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not ye even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. That's the rejoicing crown. The incorruptible crown and the rejoicing crown. Second Timothy chapter 4. Keep turning right. Second Timothy chapter 4. Verse 7, Paul's finishing the journey. 
at the end of the road and what a mighty journey it was. Verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And if you think it was only for Paul, the Holy Spirit puts in this, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at this day, that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. There's crown number three, the righteous crown of righteousness. Turn over to James chapter one, please. And verse 12, this may not be the order that I'll do them in when I'm preaching. In fact, it won't be. But uh, we're just saving us turning back and forward through the scripture where James 1 and, and verse 12, just the one verse here. Blessed, happy is the man that endures temptation for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And if the Lord promises something, he keeps his promise. 1 Peter 5 and verse 4, please. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. One more. That's five. I'm going to give you another one. I'll explain it in a minute. Revelation 2. And there's where we will rest tonight. Revelation 2. Verse 8 to 11. Let us read these verses. And on to the angel, this is the living Lord, writing to the church at Smyrna amongst the seven churches. And on to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last, which were dead and alive, as alive. I know thy works on tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. They weren't rich in physical goods, which I'll show you in a minute. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Boy, is that strong stuff. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Now, that's the same crown that we read of in James 1 and verse 12. They're not a different crown. They're not six crowns. Some say they are. I don't believe there is. I believe this is the double up 
on this crown, the crown of life, it's the only crown that's mentioned twice. So I'm satisfied that there are five crowns and one of them is mentioned twice. And that's the one we're going to look at for a little time this evening. Let us just pray again. Father, we just ask, Lord, now that, O oh God, as we open up this this scripture here, Lord, that the Holy Spirit has given to us, help us to understand it, Lord. Help us to take it in. Help us, Lord, to learn from thee tonight. And may the Lord be glorified for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, with your Bibles opened at that uh, church at Sardis, let me continue. James, who gives us this crown of we were have read, James, who gave us this crown, was a practical, praying, mighty, interceding, praying preacher. He was a half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then John, the apostle, he comes in behind and he mentions it too. And my point is this. If, if, if James and John, who would have been as closest people to the Lord that you could get, remember John lay on his bosom. They were the closest people to the Lord that you could get. And yet, both of them felt their need to mention this crown. I have often said to you here, if something's mentioned twice in the Scripture, in the same context, you take heed to it. And if it's mentioned three times, take a greater heed to it. God speaketh once, yea, twice. But boy, when he speaks three times. Now here he, he, he wants to, and I know the reason, I believe I know the reason why, that this crown is doubled upon. This, this crown that he has promised here, the crown of life. Now this crown is to do with, and it embraces every one of us tonight who are Christians. This crown embraces us as, as, as the crown of enduring faithfully in trials and in afflictions, in misunderstandings and ill-treatment, because that's what these verses here and in James are about in the context. It's standing in testings and in trials as we go down the Christian life. It's a crown for standing firm in the day of adversity. And what a day of adversity we are in. It's a crown for overcoming the lusts of the world, the lusts of the flesh, and the lusts of the devil. It's a conqueror's, victor's crown at the finish of the race. It's a crown given until we read, and you search it in these few verses that we read. This is the shortest 
verse, verses given to the Lord to any of the churches. And you'll see it's a church, it's, 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 it's a crown given unto death. Now that just doesn't mean until we die. Because this, the, 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 this church was under fierce affliction. There were being martyred uh, left, right, and center of the church of Smyrna. The word Smyrna means bitterness. It means myrrh. It, 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 there was an awful persecution in the church at Smyrna. And this church was never told, most of all the other churches were told to repent and to conform and to come back. This church was never told to repent. It was never, God, the Lord never said there was anything wrong with this church. This was a suffering church. And when you get a church in affliction and you get a church in suffering, I tell you this, it glorifies God. And I'll tell you this, if we had a dose, a good dose of affliction here in Northern Ireland, in the church of Northern Ireland, we wouldn't be split up and down the place. We wouldn't be criticizing one another. We'd be taken up with trying to serve the Lord in the midst of trials and affliction. We'd have enough to do with our own troubles without talking about anybody else's. This is, a, this is a crown for steadfastness and standing firm in trials and in troubles and in sickness and in health, in your marriage and everywhere else. I want to take a look with you tonight at why this church at Smyrna were, were promised that they'd receive this crown. It's not just the assembly, the whole assembly, as you read it here at Sardis, but it's laced, it's riddled with personal pronoun, pronouns, uh, as you saw, I'm sure, when, when you read it. Now, I want to expound a wee bit of this uh, here tonight as we come down to a close with this crown to show you why these people, why God uh, gives this crown to these people and why he mentioned this crown twice. Because this crown, I'm, I want to emphasize this again, it doesn't matter who you are tonight or where you are on the Richter scale with God. This crown is for every man and woman who is faithful and stands their ground and stands firm in this day and this hour in which we live. And they don't budge and they don't wobble and they don't fall. And they stand, they dig their heels in and they stand. And they'll stand on doctrine and they'll stand on the church practices and they'll stand on everything good for God. And last, there's so many have started out well and I'm afraid they've lost it. I'm afraid there'll be somebody else wearing it. I want you to look at this verse 8. Our Lord speaking unto the angel and that's to the leaders of the church. We're not going into that. Unto the leaders of the church in Smyrna, right? These things saith the first and the last. Now, I have written over that the exclusiveness of Christ. The exclusiveness of Christ. He's the first and he's the last. That means that he has no beginning and he has no ending. That means that he's the Alpha and the Omega. That means of his, speaks of his eternality. He's the first that ever was and he's the last that ever will be when all's over and all's gone and Russia's done and Putin's gone. He'll still be there. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So being first, he's out in front. Being being first, he's the shepherd. Being first, he's the great shepherd and the chief shepherd, and he's the good shepherd. Being Being first, he's leading the way. He's leading the charge. He's the commander with the sword drawn in his hand. He's the captain leading the way. And glory to God, we have a good captain to get in behind. But being the last, he comes in behind. He covers the rear guard, our going out and our coming in, our front door and our back door. Glory to his name, he comes in behind us. I'm glad that I have a Savior who covers me all the day long. But he not only leads in front, he's the first, and he's not only behind, and he, he uh, underneath and round about are his everlasting arms. Hallelujah. I'll say it if you don't. He's exclusive in life. He was exclusive in death. He says, I am, watch what he says. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead. I am am he which was dead and, put it the right way, dead and is alive. Nobody can physically ever say that. I can say it tonight spiritually. And most of you can say it tonight spiritually. That you were dead in trespass and in sins and you're alive now in Christ and glory to God from death unto life we're past. No, no other man or woman could ever say that. Lazarus couldn't say it. The son of Nain couldn't say it. Jairus' daughter couldn't say it. They could say to you, I am he or she that was dead. But not alive. They were dead, they were alive, but they're not alive now. This is the first begotten of the Son of God. This is the only one that ever lives forever. He destroyed death and hell and he's alive forevermore. He's getting this over to these persecuted people that he might encourage them. This is the sort of doctrine that we need to be looking at these days and these days of trials and troubles when we look at Putin and when we look at the godless, gutless, useless nations, when we look at them all. Oh, I tell you, we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Not in Johnson hoking about looking oil over the country. We need to encourage ourselves in the Lord tonight. He goes before us. He comes behind us underneath of the everlasting arms. He's, he's telling this to a persecuted church and afflicted church that are seeing martyrs every day and have stole their goods and have stole their families and have killed their children. He's bringing in this doctrine to encourage them. You'll not get this encouragement through courses or crowds. We need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We need to get into these old doctrines and these days of darkness and sin all around us and begin to muse on Christ and his mightiness and his power. He's exclusive. 
loosen in every way. Smyrna, the word for Smyrna was the smelting pot, the crucible. That was because of its fierce affliction and fierce, brutal persecution by the Romans against this, this small church at Smyrna. How better could he encourage by, by informing them that he's before them, he's behind them, he's round about them, he's ever with them, he's the first, he's the last, he's there, he's the living Christ, he's alive and alive forevermore. Boy, oh, I tell you, we could get that into our mind today, wouldn't fear men, and that's what he tells them down here, fear not, out of the fear. But you see, you not only see the exclusiveness of Christ in verse 8, you see the experiences of Christ in verse 9. He says, I know, I know, that's his omniscience. He says, I know thy works and tribulations and poverty. Of course he knew. Of course he knows, he knows all things. He's saying that I know how you feel. I know what's going on. You know, I try to counsel people sometimes that have lost a loved one or lost a child or lost a wife or lost a husband. It's only a waste of time. But I don't know. What do I know? What do I know if you're going through marriage difficulties? What do I know? I don't know. But he knew. Because he, he, he knows all things. He knows everything. Nobody knew better. Let me emphasize again, get this into your head. This church was, was, was flailed. It was, it was, it was, the word, the word was, Smyrna was beaten, was flailed. It was like wheat grinding on the millstone. Grapes trampled in the wine press. Crushed. Now, he knew all about being crushed. And when he says, I know, he knew. He knew from experience. And some of you know from experience tonight because you have been there. You have been there. I haven't been there. Maybe you haven't been in some of the places I have been, but from experiences, there's nobody like somebody with an experience that knows. And there's nothing this man didn't know. Not only did he know, but he physically, uh, he physically understood it all as well. Now I want to keep rubbing this in tonight. This is what way he's encouraging these people to lift up their heads and look up and to look forward to the day when you're going to get rewarded in heaven. He knew what it was to be pulverized. That's actually what the name means. He knows what it was to be beaten and to be stripped and to be nailed and to be crowned with thorns and to be spat on. He says, I know, I know, I know what you're going through. And of course he knew what it was to be pulverized too. He says, I know. Isn't that what he said there? He says, on the end of these things, first and the last, I know thy works and tribulations and poverty. That word tribulation is to be crushed to be flailed. Of course he was flailed. 
and I know the poverty. He knew all about poverty. These people had their goods confiscated. They had their homes burnt. You read into this persecution, it was awful. They had their children kidnapped. They had them killed in front of them. It was a wicked and evil regime that was working in those days against the Christian. They were beaten. They were lashed. And they were pulverized, taking everything belonging. Well, he knew what it was to be pulverized. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he came pure, that you through his poverty might be made rich. He slept in another's manger. He cruised in another's boat. He rode in another's donkey. He borrowed another's penny. And he was buried in another man's tomb. Ten thousand charms around him shine. But best of all, first of all, last of all, I know he's mine. Do you know that tonight? He was pulverized and pulverized and vilified. Look who was vilified, who who vilified him. Verse 9, I know the blasphemy of them which they say they are Jews. I, <laughs> his own people. They say they are Jews. And I wonder that some of the Christians that say they're Christians are the Christians at all or the things they're at and the things that they would say, the things that they would do to you and what we experience here. Oh, he knew all about being vilified and he knew all about being blasphemed the blasphemy of the Jews. He knew all about being crucified too was more glory to his name. And there's a wee word in there that I jumped out at me. Verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast you into prison that ye may be tried. Listen, he's not making it easy for these people that ye may be tried. He's not making it easy for these people. He's not bottling them up. He says the devil's going to put you into prison. It's time to stop bottling up. It's time to face reality that it'll not be very long to those people in Northern Ireland for their faith in prison. And there's no use in trying to cover it up on the pulpit or try to sing courses and sing our way out of it. We'll not sing our way out of it. He says, you're going to the devil, I'll put you, the devil's, the devil's at work here, can't you see that? Devil's very synagogue of Satan. There's a battle going on here between good and evil. There's a battle going on over this church of the Lord and the devil. There's a battle going on that will prove at the end of the day who'll get the crown out of it and who'll not. Who'll stand in this hour of affliction? Who'll stand in this hour of adversity? Will they run? Will they scatter? They'll come for the physical fight as they did and fill the places here on prayer meeting tonight. But it comes to the spiritual fight. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. He tried. He says you're going to be tried I, by Satan. Do you know anything about being tried by the devil? Well, he did. 
when he went up, came up out of the waters of Jordan, the voice came, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what do we read after that? The devil took him up onto the, or he went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and he was tried and tested by the devil. He wasn't tempted by the devil. The Lord Jesus Christ, God never tempts any man or woman to sin. God doesn't tempt you to sin. He tests you to see how you handle sin. And our Lord Jesus Christ had no sin. The devil couldn't get at him because of his sin, but he tested him, he tested him and tried him in so many different ways. And he won hands down, as you know. So the Lord, the devil will test you and he'll allow, the Lord will allow the devil to test you, to try you. And it may go on for days and it may go on for weeks and it may go on for months. Think it not strange if some fiery trial comes. Don't think it's strange. Think it's strange if it doesn't. Boy, if you're any length of time in the, in the, in, 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 in the Lord as a Christian in the Lord's work or even as a believer going about your ordinary family and your ordinary day, if you don't encounter the test of the, of, of, of the Lord allowing the devil to test, you don't know Satan's about you, something wrong with you. He says you're going to be tried, you're going to be tested, you're going to be tempted. By the devil, oh, the devil tempt you all right. The devil will bring up our things in the past and he'll put all sorts of notions about the future. They were pulverized, he was pulverized, they were vilified, but they never buckled and they never wobbled. As far as we, well, he didn't anyway. That's as far as we can. But then there's this lovely wee phrase as we come to the end. Verse 10, I love this. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. You have nothing to fear. And he says it lasts for 10 days. You know, there's a limit. <laughs> there's a limit to your trials. There's come, there's a day and a minute when it'll end. And you may be in the furnace tonight and you may be in the smelting pot tonight and all hell may be breaking out round you tonight, but let me tell you this, that it'll come to an end. Wouldn't it be an awful thing if it was coming to an end tomorrow and we caved in the day? Wouldn't be, an, wouldn't be an awful thing. Boys just lose the crown like that. Stand fast. Hold tight. Fear not. How would there be anything to fear when we have a Lord like this? How could there be anything to fear when he is alive forevermore? He goes before us. He's behind us. He's underneath us. 
Fear not, he says. You have nothing to fear. Oh, he's in control tonight. Not the... Uh, he's in control. All things and everything. Knows all things. He sees all things. He knows your trial. He knows your trouble. And Peter says, if need be for a season. You get out that wee word, if need be. If you're in some trial or some storm or something's going on that you don't understand in your life, then you must need it. You need it because we all need it because it's the only way that God can grind us and fail us and hammer us and get us to be conformed to his image. Why should he go through all this for us? We don't expect to go to heaven in beds of roses. We're in a battle. We're in a warfare. Why does he give us the crowns? It's an incentive to get them. An incentive, an incentive to live right, an incentive to work right, an incentive to be faithful and to stand in these days, incentive with our eyes onto the glory. And unto that great day when we shall see the Lord. Be faithful. My friends, let us be faithful. And let us claim this crown of life. Let us win it. Let us earn it. And we'll surely get it. How can I be faithful? Well, how can I be faithful? I have to be faithful to the doctrines of this old book. And faithful I will be. Faithful in the assembly. If this is your church and the church you say is your church, then you be faithful in all the meetings. Faithful in the family. Faithful in your marriage. Faithful in your workplace. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ, faithful to the end. May God help us tonight to earn and to win this crown and the rest of them as well. Let us stand firm and keep our feet well dug in. Let us Stand against the fiery darts of the wicked and all the lies of Satan that he pumps into us. Let us stand fast and do what we can. For the Lord hath need of you and he hath need of me in these days.